Unity in the family. What a noble goal that is. How hard to attain it. My mother, on numerous occasions, voiced to us children when she was gone, she wanted us to stay in touch with each other. I think she felt especially keen about that because she had been, as the only daughter of five children, the one who had sought for years to keep her siblings together. Mostly, her efforts ended in failure. And she was concerned that when she left this earthly scene, that her children not repeat that same pattern that natural tendency of drifting away from each other. Unity in the family is a wonderful thing. It produces a lot of joy when it happens. And when it's missing, there's a lot of heartache. I imagine there are some people here in this auditorium this morning who have known the joy of family unity at some point in your life. Maybe it was when you were a child and you haven't known it since then. Or perhaps it's been this morning that you have sensed that unity and you've come to church with your heart charged up because of the excitement and the joy of, of sensing the oneness that's there. But there are others of us that have not experienced that kind of joy for a long, long time. And we ache for it. God's heart is much like the heart of every parent. God desires for his children to be at one with each other. God wants his family together, together in unity. In our families, there are natural pressures that tend to pry us apart. There's individualism. We believe in the individual. God created us as individual people. But individualism is that idea gone to seed. We live in a world today that emphasizes the individual over the common good. Our nation was founded that together we as a people might seek the common good, but that is an idea that has long since departed. And today the emphasis is not upon the common good in our country, but upon individual rights. And our nation is decaying partly because of that. And we sense that in our own families. Individualism. I'm going to do my own thing. And then there's mobility. The pressure of mobility. We have the freedom and sometimes the necessity to move where we want to. And most of us will move several times in our lives. And the result of that is that we get separated from family. And then there's the pressure of busyness. Our schedules are demanding. We have so much going on. Our lifestyle is saturated with things to do. And we don't really have the time that it takes to get together with other people. Now all of those things that affect our earthly families affect us as well as the family of God. Unity has been a problem among God's children since the first century. Amazing parts of the New Testament are devoted to that subject of unity. And one of the sections is the book of Philippians. 
and the third chapter, where we're going to turn now for our scripture reading this morning. Beginning in verse 17, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you ought to stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul is pleading with the Philippians to experience unity in their fellowship. God wants that. It is an honorable goal for God's people. But as in our natural family, so in God's spiritual family, there are pressures that can pull us apart. George and Frank talked about some of those this morning as uh, we listened in on their thoughts. Aren't you glad people can't really listen in on your thoughts like that? And whatever the pressures were that had pulled them apart, they couldn't really identify. But the fact is that here they were, leaders in their church, serving communion, and they were at odds with one another in thinking the way they were. There are pressures that tend to pull us apart. But unity in the family of God, unity provides joy. Joy to the heart of God and joy to our own hearts. It provides a joy which is supportive, especially in times of adversity. Paul was encouraged and wrote back to the Philippians, You also rejoice in the Lord because of the unity that he had with them. He felt supported by them. When you and I pass through tough times, we need unity with the family of God to provide a joy that will help support us and see us through those difficult times. It is always such an encouragement to me to, to hear how pockets of people within our church, sometimes in small churches and sometimes in formal groups, who come to the aid of someone else who's going through a difficult time, that bond of oneness is expressed that way. You need that kind of unity with God's people, and so do I, so that that joy that comes from it will support us in our tough moments, and we all have them. As Paul thinks about unity in this text, 
He gives us two important insights into the unity of God's family. And these insights can be well applied to our earthly families as well. But we will focus on the former. We're going to cover one insight this morning and, the Lord willing, the second insight this evening. The first insight that we gain from God's Word regarding unity in the family is that it is based upon relationship. It is based upon relationship. We can't have unity where there is no relationship. And Paul expresses this relationship beautifully by calling them twice in the text we've read this morning, brothers. Brothers. And six other times in this short book, he calls the Philippians by that same special term. It is not a sexist term. He is not thinking merely of the men. It is a generic term, speaking of men and women in the Philippian church. They are brethren. The word in the original comes from the idea of being born from the same womb. And so spiritually, we are those who have been born from the womb of the love of God for us. We are brothers. In contrast to the brothers who have relationship, Paul speaks about another group whom he calls many in verse 18. And he says regarding them, they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's not unity with everybody, you see. It's only with those where there is relationship. Where there's the brotherhood. Who are these that Paul speaks of as enemies of the cross? Most probably they were professing Christians. People in that day who called themselves followers of Christ, but whose lives denied the reality of that profession. It was a hollow, empty claim. They were not really Christians, though they claimed to be Christians. And Paul terms them the enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross, you see, is what we are called to as the brothers. We are called to a life of purpose, a life of sacrifice, a life of distinction that is different from the world. We are called to a life of death, if I may put it that way. A life of death to self-centered living. That's what it means to be followers of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are called to follow him who died for us, and in so doing, to lay down our lives for him. Paul says, on the other hand, there are the enemies. Where there is not relationship, there cannot be unity. Paul is not pleading that there be unity with the enemies of the cross. The Philippian believers could not be one with those who were in reality on the other side of the equation. But he pleads with them to have unity among themselves. It is good for us to understand that unity is based upon relationship. And where there isn't relationship, there cannot be unity. Occasionally we read and hear about events that occur within the Twin Cities which are intended to show Christian unity. 
I am always glad for events that express genuine Christian unity. I'm glad when we can reach outside of our own church to link up with people in other churches who believe the same essentials that we do. And together we can express to the community our oneness in Jesus Christ. Although we may differ on some secondary, non-essential doctrines, on the basics we agree and we express our unity. I believe in unity, but I am not an ecumenicist. There is a limit to the unity. We cannot have unity with those who do not share our relationship with Jesus Christ. We recently were notified about an event this summer and encouraged the church to participate in it, which was, it says, on the flyer, to express Christian unity to the Twin Cities. But as I look down the list of people who are apparently sponsoring this event, it is a very broad group. And there are people who are a part of that who do not believe the same things that we believe about the essentials. The sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ. That salvation is by grace alone apart from works. Those are basics. And we cannot reach out and join hands in unity where there's no relationship based on the essentials. The point is that family unity is based upon relationship. We together within this family of God at Grace Church have a relationship that is based upon our common faith, the doctrine that we say we believe together, and the mission that God has given us as a body of people, what we're to be about. That forms the relationship for us. The same thing is true in a natural family. There, there can't be unity where there isn't relationship. Isn't it strange that some of us can feel closer to other brothers and sisters in Christ than we feel to our own natural brothers and sisters? Although we have been born of the same parents, there's something missing in that relationship that is present in the relationship we have with the children of God. And so my question is, what defines that kind of relationship? What makes that relationship with God's family so different, so much deeper than is present often with our own natural siblings? Well, I think Paul tells us something about that in our text, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I believe in the first place he tells us that relationship involves a common lifestyle. A common lifestyle. Notice that he speaks to them and says, Join with others in following my example. He says, Take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Paul is talking here about lifestyle. When we talk about relationship, we're talking about having a lifestyle in common. That's why sometimes it's so hard to develop relationship with even your own brothers or sisters. Because the lifestyle is so different. In the family of God, there's to be a commonness of lifestyle. And 
that commonness is based upon the pattern of the Word of God. Paul says, we gave to you the example. Take note of those who are following that example. He says, you walk and live and conduct yourself like I did when I was among you. And he tells us a little about that, even in this epistle. How that he walked in humility. How that he saw his life poured out as a sacrifice on their behalf. He lived for others. And he is saying to them, now you conduct yourself the same way. That's the commonness of lifestyle, you see. It's a life that is lived for the sake of others. Looking out for their concerns as well as our own. Relationship is based partly upon a common lifestyle, but there's a deeper question. Where does lifestyle come from? It seems to me the answer to that is that lifestyle flows out of our values. And so we have to say, secondly, that relationship involves common values. What are values? Those are the life-directing principles that we believe. It's what we really believe is important. And because we really believe that, it affects the way that we conduct ourselves. Sometimes it has little to do with uh, our Christian faith, sadly. The ideal is that we as God's people will have a common value system because it's based upon the Word of God. Paul talks a little bit about his values in this book, in fact. We live in a world today that emphasizes who you are and what you've attained, who you were born to. Are you a blue blood? What are the things in life that you've accomplished? Our world values those things. What does Paul think about them? He says they're refuse. All of those things amount to a pile of manure. Strong language. He says the most important value in my life is knowing Jesus Christ and pressing on to the mark of the prize for which he's called me heavenward. He says, that is the most important thing. Not these things that the world says is important. When we value that, as Paul did, that knowing of Christ and pressing on, it impacts our lifestyle. In chapter 4, he talks about how he values material things. And we live again in a world that places a lot of value in how much money you make and the kind of home you live in and the and the car you drive, and the the toys you can buy. Paul says, it doesn't make any difference whether I have just a little or a lot. My value is contentment. I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. It makes no difference. If I abound and I have plenty, that's wonderful. If I have nothing, that's equally as nice. Because I have found contentment to be the highest value. When you and I begin to develop these kinds of lifestyles like Paul had, or values rather, like Paul had, 
then our lifestyles will be in common too. We'll be making our life choices based upon common values. But we have to ask a deeper question, where do values come from? We could answer that several ways, but I think that, that in the text we need to answer it this way. Our values arise from what we are looking for, anticipating, expecting. Our values come out of our hope. Let me illustrate on the negative side. If I see myself as a product of evolution and I am just a higher form of animal life, And I believe that I have no personal significance in this world and that this world is all there is. Then what am I going to live for? I am going to live for the here and now because that's it, brother. And like the enemies of the cross of Christ, my God will be my lusts, my appetite, my stomach. And whatever I hunger for and I crave for, I'm going to go get that. I might as well get it now because there's nothing later. You see, my hope is in this world. And if I do shameful things, according to the Bible, so what? I can boast in those things, like the enemies of the cross. I can mind and will mind earthly things if my hope is in this life. But on the other hand, if I have a different hope that transcends life and goes beyond this world, it will impact my values. Paul says, we're not looking at the earthly things. No. We're citizens of heaven from where we're looking for a Savior to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is all-powerful. And when He comes, He is going to change our lowly bodies, these bodies of humiliation, these worm-like cocoons in which we live, to be like His glorious body. That's what we look forward to. That's our common hope as believers in Christ. And because that is our hope and we understand that there's a judgment to come, and we understand there's a reason to live for Christ in this world, because we understand the values of eternity, Therefore, we will conduct ourselves in a godly lifestyle. And when we do that, it produces relationship. When common values are absent, when lifestyle is different, when you have a different hope, you can't have unity. You can't have it. There's nothing there for unity to be built on. But when you have common hope and common values and a common lifestyle that honors God, then there can be relationship. And with the development of that relationship, there's unity. And there's joy to see us through the dark hours of life. There are some of you who are genuine Christians, but you have not valued relationship with other Christians 
Now, you haven't valued that because you haven't taken the time and the effort to develop it, okay? Because if you really valued it, you would see that relationships are developed. But the relationships aren't there. And so when you come to the tough times of life, there's just you. You have no support system. There is not the joy of unity with other people of God to give you strength in that tough time. That isn't God's plan. We sang, we are one in the bonds of love. We are one in the bonds of love. And it is true, God gives us the privilege of that bond, but it's only as you and I choose to develop those relationships that we will experience the unity and the oneness with God's family that he wants us to have. God's heart longs for his children to be one. So don't go flying off in your own way. Don't say, I'm too busy to look after that detail of life. Understand today the importance of relationship for you. The benefit it brings to you. See, how can I have relationships? Well, there are ways to do it within the program of our local church. That's what small churches are about. That's why they meet two hours on Sunday mornings here in this building as well as on our East Campus to help develop relationships. That's why flocks exist. That's why there are Bible studies in homes. And then there are other informal networkings of people within the church so that relationships can happen, but the point is they won't happen unless you set a priority on them. And my plea with you today is to do that. To make it a priority to develop relationships within the family of God where you have the common lifestyle, the common values, the common hope. Where you can have that unity that will produce joy, that will give you strength in the tough times. Some of you are passing through the valley. And you desperately need some people around you. And as a child of God, you feel alone. And you may be tempted to say, who has failed me? When in fact, it's your own failure. Because you've not made it a priority in your life to develop the relationships that will make you one in God's family, in fellowship. Would you pray with me, please? I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. And as you stand, I hope there is within your heart a deep desire to respond to what I've talked about this morning. Now, it may be that there are hundreds of you that feel connected and networked and plugged in and you feel at one with at least a part of the family of God so you're not alone.
but I am talking to scores of people, maybe even hundreds, who haven't come to that place. And I hope in standing this morning with the rest of us, you would say in your heart to God, Lord, I want to set this as a priority. And whatever it takes, whatever it means in changing my schedule and doing what I need to do, I'm going to seek out the way to get plugged in and to develop relationships in your family. Lord, we have sung about the bond of love. May it be a reality in every heart, everyone who knows Jesus. May every one of us who has been born into your family and who is therefore one of the brethren know the unity that Paul pleads for in the Philippian church. May that be true of us in our church. And Father, if there be someone here who doesn't know Jesus, but in whose heart the Holy Spirit is working, to bring under conviction of sin and wooing that one to Jesus. May there be that response of faith even this morning that would cause that one to be given birth, the new birth, into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.